And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what, will, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and, you should, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And when he, he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you, more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she said, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to service alone? And tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. Thanks. <clears throat> God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the chance to read it and study it. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be among us as we uh, look at it this evening and that uh, you would be honored and glorified as we study it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so the big question here uh, in, in the passage starts with a lawyer coming up to Jesus and asking, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, he says this and and he says it by or he starts it by, the, the passage starts by saying the lawyer came to put Jesus to the test. So there's a number of places uh, where, where Jesus comes, uh, is confronted with an individual who is trying to test him. And, and often we see Jesus turn the question back on the individual and, and um, challenge them to, to answer it uh, in, in their own way. So here, that's, that's what's happening. And so um, this man, this lawyer comes and says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, says to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Um, it's an interesting interaction. Um, and uh, one thing that stands out immediately when the lawyer says, uh, what must I do to inherit life? There's uh, an implication there that... Um, 
if there's a need to inherit eternal life and there's he's seeking a means to inherit it, then uh, that must imply that there is a possibility that you could potentially not receive eternal life. And so uh, from the outset, we're challenged with this uh, reality that there, um, there's, a, there's a possible judgment uh, in the way that we live in terms of there is, uh, there is a, a right way to live that uh, allows us entrance into eternal life. And there is uh, a wrong way that, that denies us that, that privilege. And um, interestingly, Jesus points this, this lawyer, um, this individual, back to the law and says, asks him, uh, well, how do, you, how do you read the law? What does the law say about inheriting eternal life? Um, and his answer, which Jesus affirms as, as being correct, is, is simply this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he also said to him, uh, and, and so Jesus said to him, uh, you have answered correctly, do this and, and you will live. So it seems like a pretty simple instruction, right? Love God and love your neighbor. So that's easy, right? Um, I think it's you know, obviously more, more complex than that. And, and the reality is that as we look through the rest of the passage, that um, it's not so simple a task to accomplish and um, there are a number of difficulties that we'll look at, the first of which is, uh, who is my neighbor, and, and what does that look like, and how do we fail to, to fulfill this, this command in that respect? And the second is, how are we to love God? Um, and the reality is that we, we fall short in that aspect as well. And I think what we'll see through our study is simply that, um, this simple command that Jesus gives that is the means by which the law determines we ought to enter enter into eternal life is one that we fail at miserably. And so we find ourselves in desperate uh, need of a savior uh, and and that savior is is Jesus. So so going on to the the first passage then, who who is my neighbor? Uh, We look at that in verses 29 to 37. Um, the, the command is simply this concerning your neighbor uh, that you should love your neighbor as yourself and again it sounds simple but uh, the reality is um, it's a very difficult thing for us to love anything more than we love ourselves if we sit down and think about it we love ourselves quite a lot <laughs> and uh, we we, we are constantly seeking our own comfort, our own pleasure, our own achievements. And, you know, as, as this being very close to the New Year, obviously we think of New Year's resolutions. And, and many times resolutions are, you know, turn out to be very self-focused things that you want to, you know, we want to improve something about ourselves or, or set out a new, uh, new path to, to do better at something or to live life better. I don't, I... Don't think I've made a resolution in a long time, but I think still with the new year, there's still that aspect of you sense newness and you want to Im- maybe improve on the things that you've uh, that you've been doing or the things you've been trying to live in. Uh, and so 
even as a person that doesn't really like resolutions, the truth is there are still resolutions in my heart as I begin a new year. And I think that's, uh, it's interesting that we're tied to that calendar in some way that the new year has some importance to us and it's a time of refreshing. But um, as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking, you know, I don't make any resolutions, but the reality is I sort of make resolutions without making them anyway. Um, but constantly those, those things that we want to improve about ourselves are always self-focused and, uh, and, and we actually earn a lot of happiness, I guess, for ourselves when we're able to improve ourselves. And, and so, uh, so often our, um, love for ourself overshadows our love for other people and um and that's just, that's a reality that, that we face and we have to uh, overcome that um when we focus on ourselves so much it's it's difficult to focus on uh it, it's hard to love even people that we like when we're focused on ourselves that much um the truth is we we struggle to even show love to the ones that we uh, that we care about and and that we enjoy being around, um, but as we know from our study of Luke, uh, Jesus challenges challenges us even further than just loving the people that we uh, feel similar to or or the people that we like or uh, the people we're friendly with. Um, he challenges us to love even our enemies, uh, and uh, you know we see that in Luke chapter six, verse thirty-five to thirty-six, uh, where it says. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And that's just a powerful instruction and rebuke to us that, um, that God loved us even while we were sinners, and... Um, and while we were enemies to him, really, while we were going about our own way, and uh, his his love came down um, in spite of our our rebellion toward him, and so we then, as individuals who have received that great love, now um, need to turn and and share that love with those around us, and that even includes you know our enemies. So um, it's a very uh, a powerful thing, and we'll see that demonstrated through the parable that. Jesus shares uh, here in a moment. So, um, so love your neighbor as yourself. It's not an easy thing to do, um, but that's what that's what God is calling us to do, in his, even in His law, uh, according to uh, this in the the lawyer statement and, and Jesus's affirmation of His statement. Uh, so, after Jesus says, uh, you know, you've answered correctly to this lawyer and says, do do these things and you will live. Uh, an interesting statement comes up in in verse twenty nine. The lawyer. Uh, you know, receives the answer and says, okay, that's, that's good. But it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And um, the, that verse is really interesting to me. I think, uh, you know, I, I see even in, my, even in myself sometimes, I, I think we can all look introspectively and, and see that there are times where we're, trying to justify ourselves or justify the things that we're doing or, or you know, uh, make excuses or, or whatever it is uh, to say, well, it's okay that I'm this way 
uh, you know, it's because of this circumstance or that circumstance, and uh, and uh, you know, there's there's no problem here. I I just need to um, do better or wh or whatever it is. Uh, so uh, so it seems though that this lawyer had um, he had some sort of uh, thought in his mind that uh, that the way he saw things was okay. And so, he, desiring to justify himself, he sought Jesus uh, to narrow the definition of what a neighbor actually is. And uh, what we see is that Jesus doesn't, doesn't narrow uh, who the neighbor is. In fact, he makes it very wide. <laughs> and so, uh, very wide and challenging uh, to us. And so, he shares this parable and it's a very familiar parable. It's the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, you know, there's a couple things that we need to know about Samaritans before we read, uh, read the passage about him. Um, the first is that the Israelites or uh, the Jews didn't believe that, or they believed that the Samaritans were um, not pure-blooded Israelites. And, and that's true, you know, historically. They intermarried with uh, other nations and so uh, in terms of you know being a, a pure-blooded Israelite they had inter intermarried with uh, with nations that that God had commanded them not to and uh, so they were looked down upon by by their uh, brothers uh, who considered themselves Jews and uh, secondly they also set up a, a new mountain on which to worship God when they split, when the northern tribes split from the southern tribes, they set aside Samaria as a capital and Mount, and Mount, Mount Gerizim is where they worshiped God, uh, whereas the Jews had always worshiped God at Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. And so Samaritans, as a result of this, um, this uh, not being pure blood Israelite, as well as uh, worshiping God in an improper manner were uh, cast out as individuals and uh, looked down upon by by the Jews and so uh, it would be very rare to see Samaritans interacting with uh, Jews uh, in a in a friendly manner so so with that background we see uh, we see this parable that that Jesus shares uh, with the lawyer to explain who is my neighbor to him. So it says this, starting in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus asked the lawyer, and the lawyer responds correctly, the one who showed him mercy. <clears throat> so we see this uh, you know, really amazing parable where 
the, the priest and the Levite come and they see this individual who has been, uh, you know, brutally handled, who's been robbed and, and left for dead on the road. And, um, you know, obviously that would be an awful thing in our day, even when there's lots of traffic on a road and whatever, and you, there's lots of even emergency personnel and, and such. But in this time, and even you know, magnified because there aren't cop cars or emergency vehicles going by at a often, you know, at a frequent pace. And um, so to see someone walking by on this road is is much, you know, much more rare. And so uh, it would be a, a tragic situation to be left there alone without any means in which to get yourself to help or or, or safety. And so uh, this is a very very difficult situation and uh, you know it's it's interesting to look at the the priest and Levite going by uh, and you know I don't I'm trying I was trying to picture in my mind as I read it uh, what could have been going through their heads as they walked by and saw this man and uh, the only thing I can think is that you know they were essentially raining down judgment on him and saying well you know uh, he's getting what he deserved, or you know, this is this is uh, God's judgment on him, and I, I I can't help him any, and and I don't have the means to help him right now, and and you know, this is just you know, he got himself into this this mess, and this is what happens, you know, um, and I think we find ourselves doing that to people, um, you know, we we say there's these people's circumstances, well, they've gotten themselves into this mess, and they don't deserve my help, they don't, um, they don't. Yeah, they haven't earned it, and and we we judge them in that way, and we need to be careful uh, to not be uh, so quick to do that, um, as as the priest and Levite were. Uh, but that their response stands in stark contrast to the Samaritan, and um, and the Samaritan. There's a few things that that stick out about him. And in the first verse uh, about the Samaritan, we see it says. As a Samaritan journeyed, he came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So the first thing we see about the Samaritan is that he sees this situation, and, and most likely this individual that was on the road uh, was a Jew who didn't care for Samaritans. He, you know, this, this individual was, was walking on a road between Jericho and Jerusalem. It's likely that he wasn't a Samaritan. He wasn't a brother uh, or, yeah, he wasn't another, a fellow Samaritan. And so for the Samaritan to uh, stop is, is very powerful. He saw the situation and, and had compassion on the individual. Um, so that's the, you know, that's the first step to, you know, I think that's something we need to ask ourselves, that God would increase our compassion uh, for those around us and, and those especially in, um, in, you know, very difficult, dire situations uh, like, like this individual. Um, and the second thing we see about the Samaritan is that he not only had compassion, but he was willing to sacrifice uh, of himself and of his own comfort. In, in verse 34, we see uh, he went to the man, he, he first bound his wounds, he poured out oil and wine on him, and he put the man on his own donkey, uh, or on his, on his own animal, and, and then took him to an inn. So he's sacrificed now his uh, you know his comfortable means of transportation. He's sacrificed uh, his oil and wine for this individual. He's also sacrificed his time to take this individual from where he was to an inn. 
And you know, most likely the Samaritan is a, a, a business person that's traveling you know, for, for a business purpose, or you know, it's, it's very hard to imagine that he's just traveling for leisure in, uh, in a Jewish territory. Um, so um, the, the picture that we get is, is this Samaritan business person that's taking, apart, taking uh, aside this time to care for this individual. So that we see that he has compassion, we see that he uh, sacrifices for the person in need. And then finally, we see that he demonstrates extravagant grace to the individual, uh, to this man that was left for dead. In verse 35, it says this, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Um, and there are a couple things that, that are important about what's going on there. Uh, first, the two denarii, uh, from what I understand, the two denarii would cover this man's stay at the end for, I believe it was close to a month or 24 days or something like that. So uh, it was a very handsome sum and plenty of time for the individual to rest and recuperate. And on top of that, he says that, uh, he emphasizes that he will be the one to repay, to repay, and in the original language, it's very emphatic that he's very strongly communicating to the innkeeper that he will be the one to repay, not the individual that was hurt. Um, not that the individual has any money because he was robbed, but um, but he's very clear that you know he wants to do this, and so uh, we see some pretty impressive things about this Samaritan who comes across this uh, person that would probably normally judge him harshly for his, his past, uh, that he has compassion, he sacrifices of himself, and he has extravagant, demonstrates extravagant grace uh, to this individual. So who is our neighbor? You know, ultimately it comes down to it, it can be uh, really anybody. Um, as I was thinking about it, I mean, with the knowledge that we have about our universe and how big it is, it, it's sort of, it's easier maybe now to consider our whole world and, and think, well, anyone in this world is my neighbor, relatively speaking. I mean, the universe is monstrous and we're on this little corner of it, you know, this little ball in the corner of this universe. And, you know, truthfully, we're very close to one another. And so even proc in a proximity standpoint, we're neighbors with so many, you know, everyone that's on this world. Um, but not only that, but we, our neighbors aren't defined by our, um, our similarity to them or our agreement with individuals. Our neighbors are anybody that we see that's in need who God gives us compassion for. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, ultimately it's this, that our love for our neighbor is not contingent on our agreement with the individual or even, uh, sorry, uh, our love for our neighbor is not contingent on our agreement with, uh, with them, even on very important issues. So, uh, so for the Samaritan and, and the Jew in this, in this case, they have very strong disagreements. They disagree religiously and they disagree ethnically. Uh, and so those are, you know, those are very, important parts of the individual's identity, that they have a, 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 a dissimilarity in and a disagreement about. And so, um, you know, we look at our world and think, well, those types of bridges can't be crossed in terms of 
helping one another and, and caring for each other. And the truth is that that's what God is calling us to, to love people in spite of uh, differences that we may have of them, even on serious issues. And so our love and compassion to extend uh, to, to really all people, all of our, our neighbors in this world. So um, we can learn that uh, from the Samaritan, that our, that our neighbor is not just someone that lives next, next door to us, but it could be anyone, even as, as Christ says, we ought to love our enemy. And, uh, and certainly that seems to be the case that's, that's happening with the Samaritan uh, in, in this parable. So as he, after he ter- tells this story, uh, he asks the, ta- the, the, uh, the lawyer this question, which of these three men do you think proved to be a good neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answers correctly, by saying, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus gives this instruction to the lawyer and to us that we ought to go and, and do likewise. So who is my neighbor? It's, it's anyone uh, on which God gives us compassion for. And, and we certainly, if we don't have compassion for, for individuals that are in need, we need to seek God that he would give us uh, the compassion we need to help people in, in difficult circumstances. Um, so, so first we see who our neighbor is, that, that it could be anybody. And second, uh, so you know, we know who, who it is we need to love. We need to love all people. All people are God's creation. They're made in the image of God. And so we need to love our neighbors uh, as God has called us to do so. And then uh, secondly, we need to love God. And, and the second portion of this passage uh, shows us a little bit more about that. But first I want to look at the verse... Uh, that where the where the command to love God comes from, and that's back in verse 27 again, where the lawyer answers to Jesus about uh, about how to inherit eternal life. He says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind." So, um, thinking about uh, what it means to love God, and um, to me, some some different aspects about God and characteristics about God popped into my head about things about God that I ought to love. Um, and uh, so I'll list them for you. And then I actually want to look at Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And we can actually see them demonstrated there as well. But the things that I thought of were uh, his, we, we should love God for his existence, for his saving power, for his authority, for his created order, and for even for his moral standards. Uh, and I think we see these things demonstrated, um, since, you know, since this command comes from the law, uh, I think it would be helpful for us to go look at, look at the best representation of the law, which is or the, the most brief representation of the law, which is the, the Ten Commandments. And so uh, in Exodus 20 is where we find that. Um, Exodus 20 says, starts out by saying this, and I think this is where we get our love for his existence. He says, I am the Lord your God. God exists in this world, and he's revealed that to us through his word. He revealed it to Moses long ago uh, as he gave him the Ten Commandments. He said, I am the Lord your God. I exist. I am here. I'm speaking to you even now. Uh, the second thing we see, again, we love God for his saving power and 
after he says, I am the Lord your God, he says about himself, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Certainly our God is one who has great saving power, and we have to love him for that. Uh, then the next few, uh, he begins the, the formal portion of, of the Ten Commands, uh, and the first few that are demonstrated demonstrate God's authority. We ought to love God for his authority in, our, in and over our lives. He says in verse 3, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. He is the only God. His authority is, is uh, the only authority. And he goes on in verse 4 with the second, second commandment. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness that is in heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me uh, and keep my commands. And then... Uh, the final one about his authority is, is verse 7, the third command. Uh, you shall not take the name of your Lord God, the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, so certainly we ought to love God for his uh, authority in our lives. So first his existence, second his saving power, uh, third his authority. And uh, fourth we see his created order actually demonstrated in, in the Ten Commandments. The fourth command is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the so sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed it, now blessed the Sabbath, and, and made it a holy day. Now we could talk about Sabbath for a long time, and that'd be an important topic, and we'll probably do that at some point. But, um, but the thing that I saw in this was that we should love God for his created order. He is the creator, and, and we ought to honor that, and that's one aspect of the Sabbath that is important, is, is recognizing that, that God is the one that has given us life, and we take out time to uh, honor him, uh, recognizing that he's the creator, he's the one that's always at work and, and, uh, and ordering our lives and, and giving us the air that we breathe. So we should honor him for his created order. And the final list of uh, the rest of the commands are uh, really the, the first portion or the first explanation of God's moral standards and uh, very basic things that I believe we're uh, we inherently understand even. Uh, so starting in verse 12, he continues on, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we should love God also for his moral standards because in his word he has revealed uh, his moral standards and the, and the way we ought to relate to uh, one another. And uh, we even see that you know, it's summarized in, in the command that, that is given in our, in our passage for today of love your neighbor as, as yourself. Um, certainly these commands speak to that as well. 
So, uh, a, you know, a number of things there, and obviously that's a very brief look at, at Exodus 20, but, um, but I saw these, these aspects of God that we have to love about him, uh, and, and that is his existence, his saving power, his authority, his created order, and even his moral standards. Um, so, you know, those are some things that we love God for, but the command is that we ought to love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our mind. So uh, I thought it might be good to just ask you guys um, what you think some of those aspects mean. He gives us four ways in which we ought to, uh, four ways in which we ought to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, and with our mind. So what does it mean to love God with your heart? And what does it mean to love God with uh, your soul and with your strength and with your mind? So start with heart. What, what does it mean to you when, when it says love God with your heart? I think heart speaks to desire, mm-hmm. that you desire God with all your heart or... You don't desire. You desire God first and foremost above anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's good. I don't know. Yeah, I thought of uh, emotions. You know, like um, there's a verse that came to mind. Uh, uh, Luke six forty five that says, out of, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." And, um, you know, I think we ought to, you know, maybe it doesn't come naturally to, to everyone, but we ought to love God in an expressive manner, like, uh, you know, even like we did tonight, to take time to, uh, to worship God in song, uh, you know, is, is important. It expresses the, the love that we have for God inside of our hearts. You know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so... Uh, even setting aside time to declare his excellencies uh, is it's time to uh, to demonstrate that out of our, out of our hearts, I guess. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's part of your desire. It's it's an expression. Um, yeah, the second one's kind of difficult. I I really had a hard time thinking about how I love the Lord my God with. My, with my with my soul, which um, the the commentary I was using indicated it was you know our consciousness. So um, I don't know what comes to mind. Does anything come to mind when you think of loving God with with your soul? Well. If it's consciousness, I guess you could look at it as a intention, intention, or being yeah. intentional, or a committed yeah. decision that yeah. you make. But with soul, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that speaks to it. Like, like our existence ought to to demonstrate our love for God. You know, like. Um, yeah, it's like. Our identity should be wrapped up in honoring him or something. So, yeah, I struggle with that one quite a bit. But the last two are a little, maybe a little easier. Um, 
love the God with love the Lord your God with all your strength. What comes to mind when when you think of loving God with all your strength? Like working with your physical body in a way that honors. Yeah. 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 I think even purity, you know, keeping your body pure and the body is the you know, for a Christian, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit lives inside of this body that I've got, so I should keep it clean or keep it, you know, pure to the best of my ability. Okay, and finally, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Thoughts on how we do that? I'm not sure if this is more soul or mind, but pray continually. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a little mix. Might be some overlap in these. Not sure. (laughs) I guess if anything, you can look at all four and see that it's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't. I don't think you can add to that list as okay. There's still a part of me that's me left over. Yeah. That that did it. Yeah. Include. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Be an easier way of looking at seeing that there's nothing omitted. Yeah. Versus trying to understand the individual components mm-hmm. that they make up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly emphasizing to us this importance that we should love God with all that we are with. All that identifies us, every part, every concept, should love, should demonstrate love for God. I mean, with mind, I think of just our intellect, even you know, our our understanding of, of things, and you know what you know whatever talent or information that you have that God has given you, should exalt Him with that. You know, so whether it's uh, an ability to be a good salesman or you know, understanding of of plants and and landscape architecture and or maybe an accountant you know um you know with the with our minds with what god has given us in our minds and you know, what we've learned we should honor god uh, even with that and even you know um you know i think i think about science obviously the relationship with science and religion is very um interesting one but the truth is that all knowledge is the Lord's, and so, um, you know, as we look at our world, we ought to love God for the the world that we're understanding more and more about every day. So, um, yeah. Um, well, cool. I mean, yeah. I think the the clear implication is that we uh, ought to love God with every part of of who we are. Uh, and we should love him fully with, with every part. Uh, so we see this uh, kind of fleshed out a little more as, as we move on to the next section of our passage tonight, which is in verse 38 to 42. And uh, this is a, a new story, and it's uh, the, the interaction of Martha and Mary as, as Jesus and his disciples uh, come to meet them. And so I'll uh, read through this little story and then just have some reflection uh, on it. Uh, So starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, 
And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Um, this is always a, you know, interesting passage of uh, you know, two types of individuals, one that wants to sit and just bask in the presence of the Lord and, and one that's busy about uh, doing things. And Martha always gets a, a bum rap in this deal. I feel like, you know, well, who's going to make the meal? Someone's got to make the meal, right? It seems pretty, uh, pretty important to, to, to feed these individuals. So she seems to get a harsh word here. Um, but um, I wanted to look at uh, just a few things that, uh, that I see in this passage. And, and first is what isn't said uh, in this passage is that the command isn't to just sit and do nothing. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, I guess the glorifying of Mary's attitude in the situation was that, you know, that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But it's not saying, by saying that, that, you know, it's a good thing to just sit and do nothing all the time and uh, just relax all the time and, and, and do that. You know, this is a special circumstance in reality, like Jesus the Son of God has come into the house, and um, and you know, for whatever reason, Mary has recognized his importance and has decided that she's going to sit and, and listen to his teaching. And uh, so, you know, the command isn't sit and do nothing. Uh, it's you know, the Lord is present, and that's the most important thing that we ought to seek after. Um, is is his presence, and you know what we do see it saying is that uh, in Jesus's you know sort of rebuke to to Martha, it's that um, you know Martha is two things she's anxious and troubled about the things that she's doing. So uh, you know she's she's preparing this dinner and she's anxious about it. She's that's the only thing in her mind is is this dinner and not the fact that. The Lord Jesus is in her house, you know, and and here. And so, you know, one thing that we see is that we don't need to be anxious and troubled when the presence of the Lord is available to us. And the reality is, a lot of times in our lives, um, you know, I, I think I recognize about this my, myself, that in relation to God, I'm more naturally a Martha, and in relationship to myself, I'm more naturally a Mary. I'm perfectly fine to sit around and, you know, play a game on my Kindle or, you know, you know, do nothing or hang out and watch TV or whatever, but uh, it's much harder for me to sit and just be before the Lord and, um, and to take that time and to make that time, you know. Uh, it's much easier to spend extra time on my own, uh, on my own desires or, or things I want to do uh, rather than resting in God and, and taking apart time uh, to spend with the Lord. Now, you know, again, not saying that's it's bad to have you know have a night where you watch TV or watch a show or uh, you know play a game or, or whatever. Certainly, we enjoy plenty of those things, and those are good things. Uh, but we do need to uh, 
realize that the presence of the Lord is available to us and we need to take advantage of it. Um, and we need to, you know, be more like Mary in that and take time to spend in the presence of the Lord as, as much as we're able. And, um, and so, again, more often I'm, I'm Martha in, in my relationship to God. More often I uh, want to get busy doing things for God. I don't want to sit in his presence. I want to do things for him. I want to, uh, you know, study for the sermon or study for the Bible study or uh, you know, go on the prayer walk or, you know, whatever it is, like, want to do, accomplish activities. Uh, it's what I tend towards. And I think that's how a lot of us can be. We want to, you know, we want to do our reading plan or, you know, whatever it, whatever it is, we want to check it off. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that's us being like Martha. You know, we just want to accomplish a task when what God is really calling us to do is sit with him and to learn from him and to lay our lives before him and uh and to listen and instead of talking you know and uh so so you know in this passage we, we see that we shouldn't be anxious and troubled when the presence of the lord is available to us and we should be we should challenge ourselves to be more like mary uh in relation to god and maybe more like Martha in relation to, to ourselves, you know, taking care of the things we need to take care of, uh, but, you know, and, and, and therefore making time to, to spend uh, with the Lord. Um, so, you know, one thing is clear from this passage, and you know, as, as I reflect on you know, who is my neighbor and how I'm supposed to love God, uh, I think we see in both aspects, we fail all the time uh, in loving our neighbors and we fail all the time in loving God in the proper way that we ought to. And what that demonstrates to me is, is simply that we're in desperate need of a Savior. And, um, you know, the answer that, that Jesus gives to the lawyer is, um, is from the law. You know, it's from the law. And, and in some respect, some might say, well, Jesus is saying that you can inherit, you can inherit eternal life through the law, and uh, and he is saying that, you know, but the reality is, in order to do that, you have to fulfill the whole law, <laughs> and the truth is, we can't, we can't fulfill the whole law, and in these two passages, we see that pointed out to us, even the lawyer who answered correctly about how, the, what the law says about inheriting eternal life, he sought to justify himself. And the reality was he wasn't fulfilling the law. He was incapable, even in himself, uh, even with his understanding of loving God the way he ought to and loving his neighbor the way he ought to. He had, you know, he had hatred in his heart for his neighbor, actually. And, uh, and Jesus exposes that with his questions. And, um, and even in, in the relationship we see in Martha and Mary, uh, the reality is we all struggle with uh, approaching God in the right manner. We don't organize our time properly. We don't set aside enough time to sit in the presence of the Lord and, and to enjoy Him uh, for who He is and what He's done for us. And so, you know, again, what that demonstrates to me is, is simply, yeah, eternal life is available in, uh, in the law, but the law really demonstrates to us that, that we can't do it on our own, that we are in desperate need of God alone to uh, to save us, and and that only comes through faith. And um, you know, I think the cool thing is that 
the, the law demonstrated that to people before Christ even came, and it demonstrates it to us now um, because the reality is in the New Testament we see many Old Testament individuals who uh, in Hebrews 11 are said to, uh, to be among the witnesses in heaven. And, and so uh, the thing that pointed them to their need of God to save them was the fact that they couldn't fulfill the law. And, uh, and we see that even today, that we can't fulfill the law. We need Jesus Christ to, um, to fulfill it for us. And, and uh, praise be to God that he did and um, that he has become our Savior. So, um, yeah, so um, that's all I've got. <laughs> the end. <laughs> um, let's pray and, and close our time together. God, we thank you for this uh, time to look at your word and thank you for uh, just its ability to speak to us. And um, God, it's faithfully cared for for us and, and we thank you that it's been preserved in such an amazing way that we can study it the way we can. And um, thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us and directs us as we, as we seek to understand it. And um, God, we pray that, that we would love you with all that we are for all that you've done for us. And that, Lord, that understanding of your love for us would overflow in our love for others, that we would love our neighbors more than we love ourselves. That we would put their interests uh, over ours. Lord, we need your grace to do that. We can't do it on our own. We are too selfish and self-centered. Thank you for this word that you've given us. And we pray, Lord, that you would apply it to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, Chris, you had a passage to share to finish up?